Welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast for high-performing women who want to up-level their health and feel their best in their bodies, careers, and personal lives. In this podcast, I'll sift through the latest nutrition and biohacking trends to filter out the bullshit, share what you really need to know, and help you put the good stuff into practice in a way that works for you. You'll get actionable tips from guest experts and myself on how to up-level your mindset, workouts, relationships, and environment, and start feeling like the badass woman you are. Join me as we bust through the bro science and male-centric health paradigm to help you achieve optimal performance, body, mind, and soul. Hello there, and welcome back to the Nutrition Edit. I am your host, Jeannie Oliver, functional nutrition and lifestyle coach. And today, we're going to talk about some of our modern-day struggles with health and wellness and how we got here. With all of our modern technology and our understanding of science in the body, why is it that our grandparents' and great-grandparents' generation had fewer chronic illnesses and didn't struggle with obesity the way that we do now? Well, the short answer is that our food supply, culture, and environmental exposures have changed drastically over the last hundred years or so, and not for the better. Of course, it's much more complex than that, but today I'm going to touch on just a few of the major causes of our current state of health that have plenty of research behind them. I think it's helpful for us to understand how we ended up here and what forces are at work so that we can change the narrative and start making more empowered choices for ourselves. So first off, let's talk a little bit about mindset, because our brains are the ones driving the bus, after all, when it comes to our motivation and decision-making. And, you know, we find ourselves living in a time where nearly every single thing in our lives is available at the touch of a button or the click of a mouse. If we can't get what we want immediately, we can probably get it in the next day or so, and we don't even have to leave our houses to get it. You know, marketers and manufacturers have capitalized on our desire for quick and easy, especially in the food industry. And as a result, we've lost our connection with earth and our connection with the food that we eat. Our ancestors simply did not have the conveniences that we do now. So it took a lot more physical effort and time for them to procure food and everything else that they needed for daily life. And many of us Americans rarely cook our own food anymore because we can outsource it, right, to meal delivery services, restaurants, and fast food chains. And don't misunderstand me. I love to eat out sometimes, and there are some wonderful food delivery services out there who are doing things right. But the point is that we no longer have to physically work to get our food. Delayed gratification in general is something that is pretty foreign to many of us nowadays, whether it's with food or entertainment or even dating. We are also bombarded by social media and images of befores and afters, but we rarely see the in-between or how people got to that after picture. And sure, there are reality TV stars, social media influencers who are famous and presumably rich for you know, doing absolutely nothing of value and getting famous overnight, but more often than not, those overnight sensations have put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears before they became successful or famous. You know, this is dangerous because while we may wish that we had our dream physique or career or relationship, we may not be willing to put the time and effort into achieving it or doing what it takes to get there. And we may not even have any concept of what it takes to achieve that goal. This desire for everything to be quick and easy is reinforced by the media. It's reinforced by our social circles and our culture at large, which in turn, makes it tougher to stay consistent when working towards our goals because it requires patience, right? In addition to our disconnection with our food and our quick fix instant gratification culture, the food supply itself has changed a lot. I remember when I was little, 
growing up with a single mom, we got a lot of our food from local churches and food banks. And back then in the mid seventies in California, most of what we got was fresh produce, some beans and rice, maybe some canned foods and the occasional dairy products thrown in there. Processed and packaged foods like cereals and sweets were a luxury for us because those were more expensive than the fresh food. But sadly, exactly the opposite is true now. Not only are inexpensive foods highly processed, but they're actually made to be addictive. The food industry has done a great job of creating and effectively marketing foods that are what I call hyper-flavored. These foods are really cheap to produce. They're lacking in any real nutritional value, and they're addictive to make sure you keep buying them. It's that, you know, you can't eat just one kind of phenomena. You'll hear me use the term high glycemic a lot throughout this podcast. And just to clarify, high glycemic foods are foods and drinks that cause a dramatic spike in blood glucose when you eat or drink them. You might also know these as empty calorie foods because they have calories, but no significant nutritional value. And examples of these are things like, you know, mostly processed grains like chips, crackers, cookies, bread, noodles, candy, sodas, any kind of sweetened drink, those kinds of things. These highly processed high glycemic foods and beverages are also now the least expensive, easiest access foods available in the U.S. And some are so processed that they don't actually meet the definition of the word food. And food is defined as any nutritious substance that people or animals eat or drink or absorb in order to maintain life and growth. And these items are neither nutritious nor do they maintain life or growth. So you know, by definition, they're not actually real food. And we can spend hours talking about big agriculture in the U.S. and crop subsidies, but the bottom line is that crops like corn, soy, wheat, and rice are highly subsidized by the government. So they're the most abundantly produced and consumed, usually in the form of these ultra-processed foods. If you want to hear a really fascinating deep dive about this and how our food system in the U.S. got so messed up, I highly recommend listening to episode 106, of the A Whole New Level podcast with Dr. Robert Lustig. I'll put the link in the show notes for you, and I really encourage you to give it a listen. He explains how it started back in 1943 when the Sugar Research Foundation started funding studies designed to show that sugar was not bad for us. I always say follow the money, and this is especially true when it comes to research and scientific studies, quote unquote. If an industry is funding the study, Chances are they want a favorable outcome, and they actually have ways to manipulate that outcome. In the case of sugar, the industry, sugar industry specifically, bought off scientists and critics to sway their opinions and input on the food science and show, quote unquote, scientific evidence that sugar is not bad for us. If this concept sounds vaguely familiar, it's because that's exactly what political lobbyists do. And it's really common practice in the U.S., especially in big industries. You know, political lobbyists will donate to a candidate's campaign in exchange for the candidate voting in their favor, right? This is the same thing with with research. They can actually manipulate these studies to produce a seemingly favorable outcome for whatever is going to fatten their bottom line. And those of you who, like me, lived through the 80s and 90s, you'll remember the whole low-fat diet craze. We were told that fat was the enemy when it came to weight gain and heart disease. So food manufacturers, what they did was they took out the fat and they added in extra sugar instead. And 
it's funny because often these foods, when they took out the fat and added an extra sugar, they now had more calories than they did originally. And then they had less of the fat, which helps you feel more satiated. So here's a food that's higher calorie. It's going to actually stimulate more hunger and less satiation. And we were off and running. That was actually the start of what we see now with our epidemic of type 2 diabetes and other metabolic diseases. And again, in that episode, he talks in detail about this. And it's really interesting. Another problem with these ultra processed foods is that not only are they bad for us, but they're highly addictive and they're designed to be that way. When we eat sugar, we actually release opioids and dopamine in our brains. So we get this short-term little high when we eat them. Some experts now have said that sugar is as addictive as cocaine or more so. And I would argue that cocaine addiction is actually much easier to beat than a sugar or a food addiction because you can stop using cocaine, right? <laughs> but you can't stop eating. Also, sugar and high glycemic foods, which you know turn into sugar quickly once we eat them, they are legal, they're cheap, they're easily accessible, and they are in our faces constantly. I mean, think of all the sugar, the candy, and different convenience foods, chips that you see at checkout in a grocery store or something like Target. It's just everywhere. And also, you know, most of us hopefully don't have family members and friends who are pushing us to do cocaine, but it's super common for loved ones to, you know, push food on us and guilt us if we don't eat whatever they've baked for us or for friends to pressure us to, you know, join in over that plate of nachos or, or mud pie. Which, you know, again, these things occasionally as an indulgence are a non-issue, but when they are staples of our regular diet, that's when we get in trouble health-wise. The good news here, though, is that if we can afford sugar and high glycemic foods or minimize them, the cravings for them go away pretty quickly, especially if we're eating enough of the right foods. And by that, I mean high fiber vegetables, protein, and healthy fats. Hello, amazing woman. If you're enjoying the show, I would love to connect with you over on Instagram. Just find me at joliverwellness and DM me the words nutrition edit. I'll add you to my close friends list where I share exclusive content and you'll be the first to know about my upcoming masterclasses and programs and get early access to my waitlist. Okay, now back to the show. Another thing I want to say on this subject is that we as humans have an innate need to self-soothe. And if we have demanding jobs and stressful lives without enough downtime and healthy pleasures built in, of course, we're going to gravitate to these, you know, blissy foods, sugar, alcohol, whatever other substance is going to give us that moment of pleasure. And as a recovering emotional eater, I found that it's incredibly important for me to have other ways to self-soothe or relax or reward myself that don't involve food. This will look different for everyone, and I'll talk about this more in an episode about emotional eating, but some of the tools that I use are making a cup of calming herbal tea, especially right after work when I'm just kind of wound up and need to shift gears, snuggling with my pets, maybe going outside for a walk or some fresh air, or reading a really fun book. I have clients who like to crochet or meditate. Maybe they play an instrument. It really doesn't matter as long as it's something that you enjoy and look forward to that creates a little bright spot in your day. Just start experimenting and see what works best for you. Another thought on this, you know, these high glycemic and high sugar processed foods is that they are also very inflammatory. So the more that we eat these, the more we stress our immune systems out and the more prone that we are to disease, both transmissible diseases like viruses 
and non-transmissible things like heart disease, cancer, these chronic illnesses. Toxicity also is a cause of inflammation. So I'm going to briefly touch on toxic exposures today because it's something that we have to address if we want to optimize our health. And if you're listening today, I know that that's a priority for you. Some of these toxic exposures we have no control over, like those from air pollution or maybe you know tainted tap water if you live in a certain area and you don't have access to good water filtration. Detoxification is a really, really big topic. So I'm going to do a deep dive on that down the road, but for now, I'm going to cover some of the things that we can do to minimize exposures in our daily lives. You may not realize this, but just your normal routines of doing your hair, makeup, cleaning your house, and doing your laundry can be a major source of toxic exposure. Women, we use an average of 13 products every day on our skin and hair. And many people assume that if something is available and for sale in the market, that it must be safe. I've had friends say this to me, like, well, if it's for sale, isn't it, hasn't it been tested for safety? And unfortunately, no, that's definitely not the case. It could not be further from the truth here in the US. When it comes to cosmetics, the European Union has banned over 1,300 chemicals. The US has only banned 11. Lead, formaldehyde, which is a known carcinogen or cancer causer, Parabens and coal tar dyes are some really common examples that are found in cosmetics here, but that have been banned in Canada and the EU for years. Phthalates are another very common and problematic type of chemical. These are used as plasticizers and fragrance carriers. And we have a lot of research linking phthalates to endometriosis in women, infertility in males, increases in waist size and body mass index, um, birth defects, and brain and behavior changes in, in kids. Phthalates are used as fragrance carriers, so they're found in almost anything that's perfumed. And my fragrance lovers out there, this I know this is bad news, <laughs> but I just recommend using pure organic essential oils only, and that's a really good way to avoid these chemicals that you'd be breathing all the time with these fragrances. Your laundry, dish detergents, other cleaning products, deodorants, hair products, soaps, hairspray, body lotions, face creams, even nail polish. These are common things that contain phthalates. They are found in most plastics and food containers. So I recommend always storing food in glass or stainless steel and never heating up your food in plastic or in anything with a non-stick liner. If you're eating a ton of takeout food, this you know could be an issue for you. So another good reason to cook at home more often. There's a guy named Scott Gottlieb, and he is the former FDA commissioner he was quoted in a 2019 Guardian article and said as follows, to be clear, there are currently no legal requirements for any cosmetic manufacturer marketing products to American consumers to test their products for safety. This means that ultimately a cosmetic manufacturer can decide if they'd like to test their product for safety and register it with the FDA. So what that means is that it's basically up to companies to just self-regulate. And I'm pretty willing to bet that the majority of them have no interest in spending the money to do this when they're not required to do it. Because of powerful industry lobbying and our regulatory system here that doesn't take action unless the proof of harm is unquestionable, we Americans are exposed to thousands of harmful chemicals that have been banned elsewhere. There are more than 40,000 chemicals on the market in the U.S., and out of those 40,000, only six have been banned. And the ones I want to focus on or most for our purposes today are what we call EDCs or endocrine-disrupting chemicals. By definition, these are chemicals that interfere with the production, release, transport, 
metabolism binding action or elimination of natural hormones in the body responsible for the maintenance of homeostasis and the regulation of developmental processes. Ugh, is that a mouthful or what? Um, basically, this just means that these chemicals mess with our hormones and they can screw up the body's ability to maintain health in general and healthy hormones and metabolism. There are more than 1,300 substances known as endocrine disrupting chemicals that we're exposed to regularly in either our food, air, or in products we use all the time, like our, our skin and hair products, and then plastics, food packaging, even paper register receipts often have, have BPA. Some of these compounds break down quickly, but many of them don't, and they can accumulate over time in our bodies in the soil, air, and water supplies over time. Uh, there are also some man-made compounds called PFAs, PFAS, that we refer to as forever chemicals. And that's because they stay in the environment for an indefinite amount of time. Scientists have had a hard time defining any kind of half-life for these chemicals because they last so long. And they're commonly found in non-stick coating on cookware and then in fabrics and carpeting that are stain-resistant or wrinkle-resistant. They're also found in flame retardants. Flame retardants we're exposed to most often from our mattresses. They are actually in most most mattresses and beds. But nowadays, there are a lot of organic mattresses available out there, you know, at varying price points that are flame retardant free. So another thing to keep in mind. You know, little exposures here and there, our bodies can deal with that, but our bodies were never meant to deal with the onslaught of toxins that we're exposed to today, which is why supporting our organs of detoxification is so crucial for our health. And you know, if our bodies can't detox or eliminate toxins faster than they are accumulating, that's when we get in trouble. In a future episode, I'm going to dive into what we can do to support our body's ability to detoxify properly. So stay tuned for that because that'll be a good one. And here's the thing. We store toxins in our fat cells. So if we can't detoxify quickly and effectively enough, what happens is we gain weight, we can develop weight loss resistance, and also it can trigger autoimmune diseases and increase our risk of chronic illnesses overall. So it's, it's bad news. There are also specific endocrine disrupting chemicals that actually promote weight gain. And we call these types of EDCs obesogens. These either cause fat cells to grow larger or to increase in number, and they promote fat storage. Obesogens can also interfere with hormone signaling for appetite and satiation. So they're bad news all around. And of about 1,300 or so endocrine disrupting chemicals out there, about 20 of these have been identified as obesogens. And some common ones that we see often or know about are parabens, BPA, and those dang phthalates again. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about farming. If you have worked with me before one-on-one, -on -one, or if you've been following me for a while on social media, you know that I feel really strongly about food sovereignty and protecting indigenous land and farming practices. This is something that is a big and very important topic. So I'm going to save this one for a future episode where we can really give it the time it deserves and I can bring on someone who's actually an expert in that area. But for now, I'll just say that agriculture has changed drastically over the last several decades. And we've abandoned regenerative and traditional indigenous farming practices in favor of monocropping and really heavy chemical use. Because of that, toxic pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides are commonly used and they're extremely prevalent in our food supply. 
Some of these are obesogens or endocrine disrupting chemicals, and some are listed by the World Health Organization as known carcinogens, meaning they cause cancer. So this is why I encourage you to eat organic or biodynamic whenever possible. And look, organic food is certainly not perfect, but it is far better than conventionally grown food when it comes to the concentration of chemicals. And the more that we can reduce our exposure, the better. I'm going to read you a section of a study published in 2012 that explains part of this and kind of this general trend that we see. And it says as follows, obesity has risen steadily in the United States over the past 150 years with a market uptick in recent decades. In the United States today, more than 35% of adults and nearly 17% of children aged 2 to 19 years are obese. Obesity plagues people not just in the United States, but worldwide, including increasingly developing countries. Even animals, pets, laboratory animals, and urban rats have experienced increases in average body weight over the past several decades, trends not necessarily explained by diet and exercise. In the words of Robert H. Lustig, a professor of clinical pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco, even those at the lower end of the BMI, or body mass index curve, are gaining weight. Whatever is happening is happening to everyone, suggesting an environmental trigger. Many in the medical and exercise physiology communities remain wedded to poor diet and lack of exercise as the sole cause of obesity. However, researchers are gathering convincing evidence of chemical obesogens, dietary, pharmaceutical, and industrial compounds that may alter metabolic processes and predispose some people to gain weight. So pretty interesting. And yet another argument against the, well, it's just about calories in and calories out. You need to eat less and exercise more nonsense. We know that, that that's just not the whole picture. And I really want to emphasize here that it's so important to keep perspective and not allow yourself to get fearful about all of this. It's impossible to avoid all of the potential toxic exposures and things that may be bad for us. So all we can do is be aware and make changes in the areas of our lives that we have control over, right? And just decide not to stress about everything else because you could drive yourself crazy. And speaking of stress, another major reason that we struggle so much with our weight and our health now is because most of us are living in a state of chronic stress. And chronic stress is another factor that's far more prevalent in our society over the last few generations. Our whole work-to-live culture and unrealistic expectations for work hours and productivity have eaten away at our personal lives and created very little space for proper self-care, exercise, preparing nutritious food, etc. And depending on what industry you work in, work-life balance may be kind of a joke, but it's something that we absolutely have to prioritize if we want to feel our best. I'm here in Seattle in the middle of the tech industry and, you know, several companies who shall go unnamed. I know clients that work there and their work-life balance is pretty much non-existent before we start working together because that's the expectation. That's the culture there. So it's something that, you know, we need to shift. We need to see change on that, but it's, it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, often we think of stress as an emotional or psychological issue, but the reality is that it has far-reaching physical implications too. If your nervous system perceives that you're in danger in some way, which is also known as chronic stress, it will dial down certain functions in your body and dial up others to prioritize your survival. Because newsflash, our bodies are hardwired for survival, not aesthetics. 
And digestion is one of the first things that your body will downregulate when you're stressed. If you can't fully digest your food, you can't absorb nutrients properly, your gut health is going to suffer, you know, and your immune system, reproductive systems are also suppressed and mental health can also suffer. So it's, you know, a really big picture problem here. Just some of the symptoms that can occur when your body is in a long-term state of that fight or flight are anxiety, depression, headaches, muscle tension and body pain, heart disease, heart attack, high blood pressure, stroke, sleep problems, weight gain, and memory and concentration impairment. So these are not small things. This is, you know, really detrimental stuff, which is why stress management is is really crucial. And let me be really clear that while I often talk about obesity and body weight, it is not because I'm concerned about aesthetic standards or because I'm on the whole diet culture bandwagon. From my perspective, excess weight can be a symptom of underlying issues and an indicator of other things that are throwing off your body's natural state of healing and balance. I absolutely do not think that everyone should be skinny. I'm not concerned about those like five, 10 extra vanity pounds that a lot of people are worried about. And I don't think you should worry about it either. But when it comes to things like pollution and toxins that are disrupting our metabolic function, these have a grave effect on our health, happiness, and longevity. So it's not just about aesthetics. You know, there's a really great body positivity movement out there right now. I think that there are good and bad aspects to that. I think the bottom line is that we need to figure out what is healthy for us. So for example, I'm five foot 10. When I had an extra 50 pounds on, you know, I didn't look like I was particularly overweight, but I had joint pain and the extra weight made it harder for me to enjoy the activities I loved. So it was not a healthy weight for me. And creating a truly healthy lifestyle for yourself is embracing your body type, learning what optimal health looks like for you, not what society tells you it should, and then deciding how you want to feel and what kind of life you want to live. There are plenty of external stressors that you have no control over, and stressing about your weight is just an unnecessarily self-inflicted stress that you don't need more of, right? So I encourage you to change your perspective from focusing on weight and weight loss only to focusing on how to better nourish and nurture your body so it can function at its best. This mindset is a lot healthier, a lot less stressful. And once you address underlying health or emotional blocks, your body composition or weight will end up changing for the better. So that said, today I covered some of the major reasons why it is actually so much harder to lose weight than ever before. And we talked about a few of the environmental factors that have an adverse effect on our health. And again, these factors are yet another reason why this, you know, eat less, exercise more, it's only about calories approach is really, I think, detrimental and harmful to our health overall. And it's only part of the picture when it comes to our metabolism and overall health. So Thankfully, we're not powerless in this equation, and we can use this information to make more empowered choices for our bodies and for our environment and future generations. I always want to give you some tools or action items to put into practice after every episode. So let's sum up really quick what we can do about the issues we touched on today. So first, reconnect with your food. Try shopping at your local farmer's market or your produce stand or start growing your own produce if you have garden space. Second, buy organic whenever possible. I'm also going to add in the show notes a link to the 
EWG or the Environmental Working Group's Shopper's Guide in the show notes. This is also known as the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 to help you prioritize what you buy organic and what's okay to buy conventional. It's a really helpful guide and that can save you some money. Um, try to cook at home as often as possible. Get your whole family to pitch in. You know, get the kids to pick out different color veggies at the store or the farmer's market. If they're old enough, teach them how to use knives and let them cut produce. Or maybe if they're not old enough or you don't trust them with knives, have them help you with washing the veggies because if they get involved, they're going to want to try the food. And then next, commit to learning to love the process of reaching your goals, not just the outcome. Creating a healthy lifestyle for yourself is not a finite endeavor. So just take it like one choice and one day at a time, because sometimes it can be overwhelming if you try to look out too far and think, oh, I'm going to do this forever or never do that again. Just don't even go there. Take it one choice, one day at a time. Next, avoid or greatly reduce high sugar and high glycemic foods. These are those empty calorie processed foods that are both addictive and inflammatory we talked about. And embrace delayed gratification and imperfection. (laughs) I know this is a challenging one, but cultivating this healthy lifestyle really takes time. So be patient with your body. You're never going to do things perfectly. It's not possible. I do this for a living. I don't do it perfectly. So work on letting go of that all or nothing mindset where you're either all in or all out. That is not the way to success. Just chip away at this. And then learn to enjoy the process and the steps it's going to take for you to reach your goals. Perfection is not the goal here, okay? It's not even possible. Perfection is a myth. Really, just being consistent and doing what serves you well more often than not is what's going to determine your success. And it's a lot more sustainable than trying to just go all out and then burning out really quickly. Create new rituals and rewards for yourself that don't involve food or substances. This is a big one. Experiment. Find out what works for you. Next, minimize your toxic exposures when possible, but don't get obsessive or feel fearful about it. Do this by using non-toxic personal and household products, avoiding fragrances, plastics, and non-stick cookware as much as possible. I recommend using cast iron or stainless steel only. Um, And then invest in the best quality water filter that you can afford. You know, some of them are pretty inexpensive. The zero water filter is a really easy one to get. And it's it's pretty good as far as what it filters out. And I think they start at like maybe $30, $35. And then finally, address the stressors in your life and make changes where possible. Prioritizing sleep is huge. Eat a nutrient-dense diet. And then when it comes to your work-life balance, try to draw healthy boundaries in every way possible Maybe that means setting a digital curfew for yourself or work cutoff time, scheduling your downtime, workouts, food prep time, you know, time to connect with friends, whatever it might be. Really important because if it's on your calendar, you're more like more likely to get it done and treat it like a really important, you know, like a meeting or a doctor's appointment because it's your health. And what's more important than that? I don't think there's any company out there that at the end of the day is going to thank you for sacrificing your health for them. So anyway. That was a lot, but that's all for today. I really hope you found this episode helpful. If so, just take a hot second, please, to rate and subscribe. And please share the show with anyone you think would enjoy or benefit from it. So that's it. We'll see you next time. And take care of that amazing body of yours. Talk to you soon. 
Hey there, thanks for hanging out with me today. And if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave me a quick review. Also, check out the show notes for links to connect, follow, and share this podcast and for information featured in each episode. See you next time. I am not a doctor and the content here should not be taken as medical advice. All information in this podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice, and does not establish any kind of practitioner or coach-client relationship. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Do not disregard medical advice or delay seeking medical advice because of information you hear in this podcast or any other, and do not start or stop any medications without speaking to your health provider. Always seek the advice of a qualified health practitioner before undertaking a new health regimen. This podcast and website represents the opinion of Jeannie Oliver and guests to the show. Opinions of guests are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Jeannie Oliver Wellness, LLC, or our producers.